Hey podcast, uh, the Gary V Challenge. Hashtag Gary V Challenge. That's right, I put out the huge deck. How many pages was that, 270? The, the, the deck I put out on my birthday uh, is out there now and now I'm scared. Why am I scared? Because people love consuming information but they hate doing the things in the information. So we're doing the Gary V Challenge. Hashtag Gary V Challenge. What does that mean? I am now challenging you, my audience, to make content at scale. Use the hashtag Gary V Challenge in Facebook, in Instagram, in Twitter, in LinkedIn so that we can find your stuff and I'm gonna pick some winners in January of the people that have gone out and actually made, making, contextually making, making at scale. Please go do that, go check it out. Looking forward to it, please enter. Doing always is better than reading. This is the Gary V Audio Experience. What is up, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back for another episode. Today, Gary sits down with the host of the Business Casual podcast, Kinsey Grant. They talk about brand, hard work, and why people got to know who you are. So make sure to check out her IG as well as hit Gary up to let him know what you thought, and I hope you enjoy. So today, I am sitting down with a man who I would argue needs no introduction, uh, someone very revered in the world of business and entrepreneurship. You don't even have to use your last name anymore, right? <laughs> you just get an initial. Gary V, Mr. Gary Vaynerchuk, thank you for coming on Business Casual. I am super humbled to be on, new decade, fired up, and yes, that was maybe one of my great marketing moves of all time. When Vaynerchuk is your last name, it's probably strategic to just help everyone along and go with V. Right, just shorten it for, yes. for everybody's sake. Yes. Um, so you, you've got a really, really interesting career, and honestly, so much that it would be impossible to touch on everything. I know you got your start, your kind of your big break was taking your family's wine business online, right? Yes. Okay, and that was a long time ago. Yes, I'm old now. <laughs> no, no way. <laughs> no, um, but, but to, to your point, you know, I launched an e-commerce wine business in 1996. And so for a lot of people listening, I think all of us recognize over the last 24, 36 months, e-commerce has come back into fashion, direct to consumer brands, things of that nature. And because I'm super aware of your audience and congrats to you guys, what a remarkable year last year was for you guys. And I'm sure you'll build on this next decade. You know, what a lot of youngsters that listen to this, and I know it's a wide group, but for anybody probably under 35 or at least under 30, it's extremely hard to understand that when you launched an e-commerce web business in 1996, there was still a substantial amount of people not on the internet. Right, it was still a novel concept for a lot of people. I mean, people made fun of my dad for letting me do it. His friends that owned other liquor stores literally thought it was a joke. And so, yeah, my entire career, no matter how much or how little we touch on it, has been, I think I understand what humans are gonna do. I'm willing to go in just a hair early enough that I can make it practical. So I'm aware that VR is gonna happen, but I do nothing with VR right now because it's too early. So you can't be too early. You definitely can't be too behind, which is what most people do. Uh, I think my story will be a story of timing. Okay. I think I have a, I think what saves me is my ability to sell and be operational. So I think I'm good at timing. I think other people are good at timing, but I'm good at keeping my head above water a year earlier than other people because of my sheer will, strategies around selling, VaynerMedia, this enormous company that we're sitting in. You know, that first year or two in 2009, 10, 11, like it was hard to sell social. Right, uh, and it's please. not even just cannonballing in, it's being able to tread water for long enough to to make sure that you're you're still still swimming when everybody else jumps in. I'll always be underrated because of my natural DNA of like showmanship and you know being over the top for the practical nature of my operations. Long before there was a Gary V, I was a 22 year old kid that took a business doing $3 million and 10% gross profit. 
to a $65 million business in a six, seven year window, uh, doing 28% gross profit with no credit line, let alone cash infusion from capital like every kid raises now, I will forever be underrated. And that's okay because I get a lot of benefits from my personality, but absolutely the other part of my body that's very practical, very proud of its operational capabilities, the actual businessman, uh, the actual HR executive, the actual COO, he probably frowns once in a while for people thinking that it's my charisma that got me here. Uh, And I think that getting in early requires the ability to survive and that's something I'm very good at. So let's talk about some of those other hats that you're you're wearing that you just brought up. HR, COO, you're the CEO of VaynerMedia. Um, you guys are a, a media, I guess like an advertising agency. We are an advertising right, for, agency. You have a, a whole really interesting slew of, of clients that come in and get you guys' help and it's been successful. You guys have grown a ton, um, but you've also got a lot of other a lot of other projects going on. Five times New York Times bestselling author. Uh, you have invested in some of the most successful companies that we talk about today: uh, Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Venmo, Uber. Host a podcast. You guys are, are doing everything right now. What are you most excited about when it comes to all of those projects? That I'm trink that I'm tricking young entrepreneurs into valuing patience and kindness and empathy. Okay. Do you think that they don't do that currently? Or that the norm is not? not? No, I do not. I think that we've, through our social media era, through our young alpha era, I think people have overvalued over the last half decade, specifically because of the visuals on Instagram and just culture. This is not a social media issue. This is is a prosperity issue. no, I, I think that we lived through the era of baby giraffes and, you know, watches and private jets and, you know, exposing too much skin and, and like just very vain service level behavior. And over the last 18 months, if you're asking me what I'm most excited about, over the last 18 months, through the sheer amount of content that I've put out, I think that I'm very proud that I'm starting to see parroting you know, I'm starting to see the cliche 24 year old entrepreneur, guy and gal for that matter, starting to use things like patience and empathy and gratitude and kindness in their content. And I feel very proud of that. Right. You know, so I really a, do. a big part of all of those those core tenets of what you think has kind of defined your success is that you've built this very identifiable brand for yourself. And I yes. want to talk more about that today. Sure. About the process of branding, both professional branding, personal branding, how to brand a business. Uh, so I guess just at the base level here, can you define for me in the simplest terms? If I said define the word brand, what would you say? It's what people think when they hear a word. Okay, and how do you how do you change the way that people think about something like that? By the things you put in front of them. Content? Correct. Okay, uh, why do you but think that, that but, it matters? But, but that's one part, and that's the right. one that's most practical for everybody listening, but the product you put in front of them matters too, right? That's how you, you know, I, I always tell people, listen, I really think I'm good at marketing and branding, but please, if your product stinks, I'm just gonna speed up the process of people figuring out you stink. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that I, one of the reasons I built my personal brand was I knew that people would be surprised how good I was at what I did once they actually worked with me or met me. These two guys right here on my team that are sitting in the room, they're more impressed with me now, not less, even though they came in knowing me. Right, so you have to deliver. It can't just 100%, be optics. 100%, but content is the most practical. The fact that anybody listening right now, listen, let's get right to value prop because it's the new year, everyone's like gonna eat better, all this. TikTok. If you follow me, you're probably tired of me saying this, but I also know that you guys have a massive audience that has either written me off or is not aware of me. 
TikTok has so much organic reach, meaning if you're on right now, A, you've never heard of it because you you skew older or you don't have a 14 to 15 year old in your life, um, or you've heard of it, but you've poo-pooed it the way you poo-pooed Facebook a decade ago or 15 years ago or other things along the way. You know, to me, when you can get organic reach, when you can get people to see you, you always take advantage of that. And so I want people to start a TikTok account and make content because I've gotten hundreds, if not thousands of emails in the last two months of people that spent eight years trying to build up their YouTube or Instagram and have built far more significant audiences on TikTok in the last three weeks. It's because what I saw on Twitter and Facebook in the mid 2000s and what I saw in 2011 to 13 on Instagram, when you move fast or podcasting like I saw years ago, when you move fast, you land grab. You land grab. You know, Joe Rogan, Tim Ferriss, these guys have been doing it. And obviously there's new ones that come, this is what's so awesome. You guys can come along and be new and it's just great and that's valuable. Or you can land grab and be good. And by the way, if you guys started this six years ago, it would be that much bigger. You know, best always wins, but first is a great place to be too. Right, and especially, we did a TikTok episode earlier in the year, or last year, uh, on business casual. And it's just insane how quickly these viral TikTok moments are, are taking over. But my big question with that episode was, where are the brands? Where are these big companies? I felt like they'll always be there. They're scared at first. When it's so young, right. you can't market to under 13. There's laws. Uh, most brands aren't targeting at the time, if you did it last year, at the time, most brands don't target you know, under 18. Most brands do candy, fashion, sure, but you know, but these things get older. I mean, when I started marketing on Facebook in 2008 and nine, everybody made fun of me. They're like, for college, you sell wine. I'm like, no, no, there's 20 year olds on there that graduated from college and if I win them at 22, they'll be my customer forever. Right. And now Facebook is 55 to 90. Yeah, you gotta be crazy to I think mean, that college kids aren't getting one. There's not a single <laughs> college kid on Facebook. Yeah. They're, you know, but their grandmother is, so things evolve. Right. What do you think the the biggest misconception is that brands are, are missing when it comes to getting their brand out there in front of the right eyes right now? Potential reach versus actual consumption. What do you mean by that? And I'm gonna pound this again, I'm gonna recall it, because I, I know somebody's on a treadmill right now, somebody's kind of driving and didn't hear that part, so I'm making a big to-do here, because I play for legacy and being historically correct, and what I'm about to say, I'm gonna say it again, really matters. Okay. The biggest mistake that everybody makes, but definitely the Fortune 500, as I've come to learn over the last decade, is the idea of potential reach, potentially reaching somebody, versus the actual consumption. Most big companies and most people will do things like, well, most. let's start with companies because they're slightly different. Most companies think that GRPs, which is a way to score how many people might watch your television commercial, is a real data point. It's not. It's like an email newsletter. You guys are smart at the brew. You guys know you have a list. You also know what the open rates are. And then you also know that a percentage of those open rates are kind of open rates. There's people that read the whole thing and there's people that skim it for a hundredth of a second. Um, but what you know is that there's open rates. You don't assume your entire list is actually even opening it, let alone getting it, right? Right. Guess what? Big brands think that every single person that potentially, it's not even real data like your email list, that the companies tell them are watching their show through Nielsen ratings, through surveying a couple thousand people, are actually seeing the commercial. But if they're not seeing the returns, how come they still believe this? 
because media companies tell them to spend the money. Do you know how it actually works? Chase, Budweiser, Pepsi, Coca-Cola, BMW, Mercedes, their media companies put data in front of them. Okay. What, what people don't realize is like, these are big, big companies run by great executives, but it's not their family business. The, it's, they're so big, they can't tell where the results are coming from. Interesting. So they take the report as gospel, not the business result. So what are you guys doing differently? We're telling them to take the business result and in, in, we're, we're yelling at them and yelling. It, like I'm through passion trying to get my clients to say, hey, let's not run national TV so that we don't know what's happening. Let's segment our TV versus our Facebook versus our YouTube versus our social media versus our billboards, radio. And let's actually figure out what's working and what's not working. And we're starting, last year was a big year for VaynerMedia with a lot of clients where we got them to turn off everything and then A-B test and people started seeing some things that they were taking for granted. Right. An impression on a banner ad does not lead to a sale. A potential impression on a TV commercial. So, so that's the biggest mistake. I don't spend a single dollar or a minute of my time on the potential numbers. I, I didn't need TikTok to show me what it's doing for me. I live life and have 14 and 12 and nine year olds come up to me for the first time in my life. I go to the airport and have four nine-year-olds ask for a selfie. I know TikTok's working. Right. And those kids are going to grow up at some point and, and make purchases and buy things and have business idols. And, and for me, for me, I, the reason I wrote Jab, 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 Right Hook, one of my most successful books, was give, 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 and then ask. When you actually don't care if somebody buys your sneakers or wine or hires VaynerMedia, you just want to be in a position for it to potentially happen. When you're actually giving versus manipulating, it's a very fine line. Like, do I want to build, do I want all 7.7 billion people on earth to know who I am? Yes. Yes, I do. Because I think everybody who has a business interest or a philanthropy interest or any interest to achieve anything, that is in their best vested interest. To know who you are. For everybody. It is It is BMW's vested interest. It's. I, I have a funny feeling the Morning Brew would love for everybody on earth to know who they are. It's in your vested interest. By the way, if you're a nonprofit executive who's trying to raise money, if you're if you're trying to get your niece to be the PTA president, if you want the pothole fixed on Main Street, it is in your vested interest to have everybody on earth know who you right. are. You gotta know the right people. So for me, that's a very big strategy. However, I genuinely believe the reason that I've grown more than everybody else in the last decade or a lot of people that looked like me on Twitter a decade ago is I don't produce content as a top of the funnel machine to get you to buy Empathy Wines, use my dad's wine text, buy my K-Swiss, or hire VaynerMedia. I would love for that to happen. It would be nice for that to happen. I'm not even scared to ask for that to happen. But I'm not doing my giving behavior with the manipulation to make you do that. There's no video that stops on social that then says if you wanna see the rest, Go here. There's no, I'm gonna give you content, but sign up for my seven day trial. Like there's no monetization of my audience from a intent to manipulate the action. It's build brand and bring value and you basically karma and guilt people into doing business with you. Right, so they become so obsessed with the content that you're putting out that when you do make that ask, buy my wine, buy my sneakers, they're more willing to do so. But it still is disappointing compared to people that do it dirty. All my dirty like acquaintances make fun of me. 
They're like, oh, you're such a nice guy. Well, why aren't you selling more wine and sneakers? Look how well I'm doing. I'm like, I don't want those blood dollars. Do you think that they're blood dollars using the traditional advertising? No, I do not. But I think it's blood dollars when personal brands manipulate people that they're going to make them millions of dollars through their training program. I think those are blood dollars. No, I think the big companies are just putting dollars directly in the trash. And by the way, for the CMOs that are listening right now, like who's this, you know, I feel bad for them. I don't think they're stupid or don't care. I think the company scores on reporting, not actual business results. They're an executive. They have a mortgage and a family to take care of. So what about this idea of of buying a big old traditional kind of brand and, You've and done some homework yes early. inserting the uh, the Gary V method into yeah. it and turning it around I'm obsessed with nostalgia I think it's the most underpriced asset in the world and when the economy collapses uh all the money saved up from the Facebooks and the VaynerMedia and all this stuff I will deploy against buying something like remember you might be here too young for this for everybody who's listening in their late 30s and 40s remember jams those uh shorts when we were like in sixth or grade or whatever like there's these brands that I grew up with it's why I did the k-swiss deal it was a it wasn't the most lucrative financial deal for me but a it was amazing for you know teenage Gary to think he has a signature on a sneaker but more importantly I got to test my thesis and it worked extremely well k-swiss was wildly not contemporary when I did the deal with them three, four years ago, and it is far more contemporary now to the point where they sold the company for hundreds of millions of dollars to a Chinese holding company. And so, um, I yes, I wanna buy Blow Pops, I wanna buy, you know, you know, Captain Crunch, I wanna buy o- Ocean Pacific, the fashion brand. Something will happen where Mug Root Beer, there's a lot of brands that, Stewart's Root Beer even more so. There's, I wanna buy a nostalgic brand and then make it contemporary. Do you think that brands can kind of be bought and sold in that way that yes. you can turn it around yes. that quickly? Yes. How fast would you think it would take? Five to 10 years. Okay. Interesting. Um, we'll talk more about the ins and outs of branding in just a second. But first, let's take a short break to hear from our partner. And now back to the conversation. <laughs> and now back to the conversation on branding and entrepreneurship with Gary Vaynerchuk. Uh, so we were just talking about returning a, a brand that's maybe lost some of its shine to to the glory days. Yes. I want to hear more about your experience with what you think is working right now in branding. What's doing really well? I know that we brought up TikTok. What else do you think is hot when LinkedIn. it comes to making a brand? LinkedIn. Yeah. Interesting. You kind know, of caught so me fun. by surprise well, there. It's fun. It, I appreciate your reaction because I know you're bright and you're paying attention. And this is probably what I pride myself in the most. I, I'm sneaky. I like really, you know, one thing that people don't know about me, especially because I talk so much, because I put out so much content, people think I'm always talking. I would argue that 90% of my life I'm listening. I'm reading, I'm watching, I'm looking at data, and mainly qualitative data, not necessarily quant. I'm reading people's comments, um, and then I'm just following algorithms. And, and LinkedIn right now is acting more like Facebook 2012. There are people treating LinkedIn now as if it was Facebook. If you're listening right now and you have a pumpkin pie business, you have a t-shirt business, you have a, you know, any B2B business, real estate agent, financial advisor, putting out content on LinkedIn as if it was Facebook, not overthinking that you're on LinkedIn is crushing. It's interesting to me because I feel like LinkedIn has a somewhat negative connotation with my age group that people use it for these LinkedIn flex, right? That you're like, I'm so excited to announce that I've taken an internship. Good, good news. Instagram's the most flexy flex flex it's place a different on kind earth. of flex. It's just a different kind of flex. I think if you're a winner, you're unemotional about where you market. I could care less if I start doing traditional based on what I was saying earlier. For example, Super Bowl, I think we got the Super Bowl coming up in a month. Best deal in advertising. 
if you can afford still, still everybody's gonna you, every person listening right now will see the Super Bowl spot of every company either on YouTube or during the game. That's amazing. There's no Facebook buy, YouTube buy, Instagram buy, newsletter hack that I can come up with that's even close. You gotta pay up for it, it's not for us little entrepreneurs, but for the big companies, they should do 10 of them and do no other commercials. LinkedIn, for everybody listening right now, they can post, and again, I'm a trader of organic underpriced reach or paid underpriced reach. So Instagram story ads, pre-rolls on YouTube that take into account YouTube, uh, Google search engines. You know, so you search on Google for phishing, you go watch a Jets video, but a phishing ad comes up. But LinkedIn for the most people that are listening right now will crush. And by the way, for your company, <coughs> for your, that's okay, for your company, it will slay. I think your biggest acquisition that you guys potentially aren't thinking about is four to 12 organic pieces of content on LinkedIn a day. Interesting, yeah. I mean, we we try to be more active on LinkedIn, but to me, it's, it's kind of an afterthought to be totally honest with you. I get it. And by the way, how about this? I wrote a book two years ago called Crushing It, which was my updated, the Bible for content and building brand, and TikTok and LinkedIn, neither are in the book. I don't even mention LinkedIn. TikTok was mentioned as musically, obviously, before it was bought, but kind of like, let me put it in there because I know it's doing something. LinkedIn wasn't even mentioned. So this is very recent. This is very recent. This is a 15 month, Sorry. You know, please cough. <coughs> See, this is why I love this podcast, it's real. It's real. Do not edit this out, I'll die. <laughs> LinkedIn, LinkedIn is wildly underpriced and I believe, and if you think about, who, again, who's walking the dog right now, who's listening to this right now in their office, LinkedIn and TikTok for 93.7%, obviously a very arbitrary number, <laughs> but like for 90% of this audience is not on the radar and they're trying to crush Instagram and YouTube and Twitter and Facebook and are frustrated. They can't get leads, they can't build their business. If they put out content for people, not try to make it a commercial, and they focus on those two platforms in the first six months, I think that's their New Year's resolution. That's their, this is the decade of winning on social. And by the way, most of them won't. I know you, I know you Donna and Sal on the other side of this right now. You're worried about the judgment of being on TikTok. You're worried about the judgment of being LinkedIn. If you think about both those platforms, there's judgment, right? The youth is like, ah, corny, uh, you know, at, or if they're 45, you know, we're obviously being arbitrary here, but like if they're if they're in their mid-career, they think to be, to be not, they have to be so professional on it. And then TikTok, forget it. If you're over, you know, 30, you're like, those are, you know, I'm not doing that yet. That is where the action is. What about having different voices on different platforms? When 100. I think about my Twitter is very different from my LinkedIn. But it's still you. So it's different, people think it's bad and I think it's good, meaning everybody should be different in certain scenarios. The There's five of us in a room right now. We're in a professional environment right now. I have a funny feeling all five of us are gonna act a certain way. If the five of us became friendly and went out Friday night to catch after like two months of becoming friends, I, I would expect all of us to act differently. We're still ourselves. This notion that you have to be the same exact robot First of all, the context of every platform should make you different. Right. I'm very different across the board. I'm different when I'm with my friends from college than I am with my, I'm different with different employees within my own organization. Context is the punchline. And that it's okay to be different. No, no, it's, it's important to be. Right. But it's still you. You can't be somebody else. You just use different adjectives and either may deploy more humor than more seriousness, than more thoughtfulness, than most, more candor. That It's just right. different. So you're not diluting your brand by having different avenues of expressing yourself. The only way one can dilute their brand is not to do the truth. Okay. 
if you act like you're a party animal on Instagram because you want to be, you know, fresh and smooth and you make pretend you go to Mykonos and Coachella and Rolling Loud and you don't and you're photoshopping it or you're just going to Rolling Loud or St. Bart's for the holidays just to be cool, that's where you're vulnerable. So don't be a hack, just be yourself. Which is almost impossible for everybody because everyone's always been so caught up in everybody else's opinions. The the absolute breakthrough for my career is my inability to hear anybody both pro and con. If you go look at my Instagram, hey everybody, Gary VEE on Instagram, if you go there right now and look at my latest post, whatever that's gonna end up being, and you read the comments, I promise you, you will see in some point back-to-back comments where somebody will leave a goat emoji saying I'm the greatest of all time, and the next person will say this guy is a snake oil salesman full of My ability to hear neither, not get too high, not get too low, is what's allowed me to put continue to put out content that I want to put out that I think could bring value to people. And that's why I'm so prolific. People are like, oh, you put out so much content because you have a team. I put out so much content because my parents instill self-esteem in me. Once you have self-esteem, you're not scared of the feedback. Once you're not scared of the feedback, you actually post the truth. Once you start posting the truth, you become unique. Because guess what? Everybody looks the same on Instagram. Well, that was, I feel like you just dropped a truth bomb. Do you read your podcast reviews on like Apple Podcasts or anything? No, I haven't in a while. Um, but yeah, occasionally in that classic like 15 hour flight to Singapore, yeah. you know, we have offices in Singapore and London. So sometimes I can get really caught up and I can get into like the rabbit hole of like, hey, let me go read the feedback. I'm looking for like real time volume feedback. So I read the comments on all my social. The podcast is probably something I'll look at four or five times a year. But to your, But you know what's so funny how life works? It was funny how my chemicals just moved. This is why I love listening. You just saying that, I'm like, I'm convinced that I'm gonna look at my podcast reviews more this year because of you mentioning that. And I think that's so interesting. And I think that's why I ask people, people throw away negative comments on social. Oh, they're a, they're a troll. No, they're not. You have to understand why somebody left that. It's important to be accountable and self-analyzing. To just dismiss negative feedback leads to delusion. Right. And I, I think there's a, a happy medium between looking at comments and understanding what people are, are perceiving you as and then just getting kind of bogged down in all negativity. Correct, which is why I want to make positivity louder. Like, you know, not only do I put out positive content, but I'm spending more and more time when I see something good out there of leaving a nice comment. You know, if you're if if you're driving, working out, walking dog right now, if you're lucky enough as you're listening to this of being a happy person, I genuinely think that, you know, we, we all talk about making the world better, you know, and A, of course vote. B, of course, you know, donate to charity if you can or your time. But I actually think the number one thing more people can do is actually communicate their happiness and their gratitude on social. Nobody leaves a comment for American Airlines of like, hey, great flight, awesome, awesome on time, can't believe I just went into a machine that went in the air and gave me Wi-Fi and fed me, you know, and all this. No, no, it's always like, you Delta. Hey, people are only motivated when they're upset. 100%, I'm done with that. And it's time, like, as I've been blessed with having a lot of attention that I'm proud of because I've earned it, I want to use that platform to say what I just said. I know a lot of people listen to this. If one person today says thank you, you know, filet for opening, you know, for not having a long line or just why we are just not grateful. We are we are uncomfortably good at complaining. 
We are all time at judging other people and we are inept at gratitude. Okay. I want to talk more in just a second about that audience that you've built and how you're leveraging it. Uh, But real quickly, let's take a short break to hear from our partner. And now back to the conversation on branding and entrepreneurship with Gary Vaynerchuk. Uh, so, you know, this this audience that you've built has clearly, it's something you're very passionate about. Even just sitting in this room talking with you, you are, you're not a snake oil salesman, <laughs> I, I don't think. I think that you, you know, clearly are, are trying to, to help people right here. What's that experience been like for you in building your own personal brand as this positivity focused entrepreneur type who kind of just took life by the horns and made it what it wants of it? It's an homage to my parents who are my heroes. Okay. This is the most fulfilling thing I do. I hate it because the number one thing my team's about to laugh, when somebody calls me a motivational speaker, I literally want to jump out the window. Why is that? Because the way I perceive a motivational speaker, which is, it's rah-rah, it's sometimes bad, because they're evil, (laughs) you know? And it feels fluffy. Like, I feel like I, I've run a business every day of my life for the last 22 years. Wildly successful with no capital infusion, which is super hard in this day and age. And I'm very proud of that. I just happen to be optimistic and grateful and have the gift of gab and have a jersey mouth and you know and believe in putting out content at incredible scale on the internet. So you know it was funny when you asked me that it was an interesting answer that I gave you but it's a truth. Like I'm the byproduct of my circumstances and my parents. And we all kind of are. We all are. For for better or worse. That's right. So I'm proud when people are like yo Vayner Media is legit. I'm proud when people are like how did you sell Resi for nine figures to Amex in four years, you Ben Leventhal and all that. I'm proud of like, hey, you made really good decisions in buying, investing in those companies. Hey, Wine Library, what a success. This Wine Tech's new thing you did, that's really cool. Like, I'm proud of that. But when people give me accolades, I'm like, that's Sasha and Tamara Vaynerchuk. That's being born in the Soviet Union, coming here and sitting in a studio apartment with eight family members and realizing how grimy and hardcore that was. That that was going on one family vacation as a child. It's led to crazy gratitude, deep compassion, and then my mom. Listen, my dad and my mom instilled two very real things into me that I've become the byproduct of. Hard work or nothing, right? And kindness over everything. You know, those are very, admirable skills, I don't know what to say. Like, I think there was a period of time where I got demonized a little bit for the word hustle, and and I was very concerned about that the last three or four years where people started taking my message, and I feel like using me for their own gain of traffic and saying things that just weren't true. I've always been a huge advocate. I sleep eight hours a day. I think people should sleep. Right. I Yes, I believe hard work matters, but not to burn out I talk about happiness. I've, for a decade, talked about the scenario of making $43,000 a year, talking about Star Trek and a podcast and working nine to five. So that was a concern of mine. Right, it's like the idea of the you know, like hustle porn culture that nobody's really- There was really... a Medium article that somebody wrote that had like 10 false things about me that went super viral and a lot of people believed that's who I was that hurt my feelings. Do you think that you were contributing to that in any way? I think my word got 
you know, oh, and first of all, it wasn't my word. Pete Rose had that word 20 years before I even, but my word of, I really talked about hustle in 2009. Don't forget, the economy collapsed, people were scared, people were out of jobs, and I was excited. I was excited to tell people like, hey, we have the internet now. You can do stuff from 7 p.m. to 2 in the morning. And so what started off as this great thing, yeah, I think some, I think, I think I could have done a better job talking, I talked so much about hard work because I still believe in it so much and it, and the word I used was hustle which then got manipulated in the culture that I could have done a better job of talking more, you know, having a podcast with Ariana Huffington five years ago about sleep wasn't enough. I needed to put out more. So listen, I think anything that happens to you requires accountability. So yes, I feel like I could have done a better job in rounding out my message. I think, I think I've done that in the last year or two which is, why it's quote unquote better. Um, so yes, I think I could have done a better job, but I still believe in hard work and kindness over everything. Do you think that the idea of you saying, you know, here's how to put out 60 pieces of content in a day is making that a little harder to kind of turn around? Of course, because people are headline readers. If they actually looked at the 270 page deck that I put out for free to everybody, because that's how I roll, they would have seen that when, you, when I talk about 64 pieces of content, you're talking about 41 pieces of that being post-production. That's talking about 11 of them being tweets, they're just random thoughts or photos you take. You know, when you think about 64 pieces of content the way that most of the world thinks about it, which is overly produced, high production, massive time requirement, putting out 64 of these is impossible. But we've already had 11 good quotes in here. I mean, and we can take all of those little snid snippets and, and make them into something. And by the way, even what, like when you said, hey, I think that was a name drop or a mic drop, excuse me, at the end when I had that nice little rant before the break, <laughs> that's seven pieces of content. You can make one for Pinterest as a quote for your Pinterest board, which will lead to people subscribing for Morning Brew. You can put that as just copy on your Twitter and attribute it to me because I get searched. You can put that on LinkedIn with a photo still shot of the interview from the audio, from the video, excuse me. So. Yes, do I think that when I say put out 64 pieces of content a day, it contributes to it? Yes, I do. You know why? Because people are lazy headline readers. Right. If they actually wrote, read what I said, they, could, they would then say, oh, wait a minute. I'm sure for everybody who's just listening for the last three minutes, like, oh, that makes sense. I'm only common sense. And, um, and, and that, you know, I also love being underrated and then having the great reveal. So I do think that I sabotage myself with my personality a little bit because I kind of like the, wait a minute, uh, there's a little, I love being an underdog. And I think my, all my life, bad student, immigrant, not good at sports, I was an underdog. I, I've challenged myself now that I've had some level of success. I'm like, okay, Gary, don't get weird here. Like now that you know it's harder for you to be an underdog, don't start sandbagging your, like I actually believe that I might be doing that at times. Um, and I have to have a real talk with myself about that. Do you ever turn it off? All the time. Okay, when, what do you, uh, is Weekends, it family time. When I go to sleep, I sleep like a baby. Um, I, I don't take business very serious, believe it or not. I'm deeply passionate, but the things that keep me up at night have never been business. They've always been, I don't want my mom to get sick. I don't want my kids to get sick. You know, like I'm scared about health and happiness of like 20 people. So so it's actually very easy. A lot of people as they get closer to me are like blown away by my ability to turn it off. And I'm like, why? I just love my sport. Mm -hmm. it's, it's like asking an athlete, like, do you play basketball all the time? No, you play basketball when the game is on. Entrepreneurship has a long day. 
Um, But it's actually very easy for me to turn it off because I do think I have this game in perspective. Do I want to be successful? Yes, I do. Am I grinding as hard as I can? Yes, I do. But much like athletes after a game when they're doing jersey exchanges and taking photos and asking about each other's families, that's how I am even with my business competitors. People don't see it. People get, because the way business works, they don't have an on-off switch. Mm -hmm. So they're like mean to people that they compete with. Like, look, I want to be the biggest agency in the world. I, I, as a competitor, want to destroy holding company agencies Madison Avenue, but I don't want anything bad for those CEOs. Right. Does it ever bother you that you're something of a polarizing personality? No, because I think what works for me is the following. The more one knows me, the more they like me. What would hurt me is if like people on my own team wrote exposés on media. Like Max Brown just left. Uh, on my team. If you look at his public posts where there's no vested interest one way or the other, not only did he show admiration for me, he's showing admiration for his fellow employees. Like that's what I'm most proud of. I'm most proud of that Jason's mom came here last week and like I could see like gratitude in her eyes, right? Not at all. Why would anybody be upset if somebody dislikes them without knowing them? That's what I'm trying to get the world to understand. Look, if you're gonna put yourself out there with a podcast, with the, like people are gonna people are gonna make hot. I make judgments all. I hate Tom Brady. I'm sure he's a wonderful guy. I hate him because I love sports and he destroys my team. Like it's gonna come with the territory of being known. My great fear is that somebody who spent meaningful time with me dislikes me. I have a very good record when it comes to that. I'm also empathetic. If you see Gary V in my most Gary Venus on a stage you know, dropping 14 curse words in the 39 second period and being alpha and competitive and excited and you've never seen that person and you are in a place where you're unhappy right now, that is the polarizing character of your day. Mm -hmm. So I have to be empathetic that out of context, I'm a lot. Right. I understand that. Uh, By the way, you wanna hear something crazy? I'll give you a little scoop. Yeah, let's Hopefully it it brings you value (laughs) for, for you guys to continue to win. I don't love it. I wish I was a little more calm when I'm on, I have chemicals. We all have chemicals. If I could take 15% of that out of my 25% out, I would. I would be dramatically more palpable for far more people. And uh, at the same token, I'm very proud of who I am as a human and enjoy when I'm on stage or on a podcast or flexing for a video. It's fun. Like I didn't know that I had that in me. This is what people are always like, you fame. I'm like, bro, I didn't make a video of any sorts until I, about business until I was 34 years old. I was a businessman, I was a retailer. It didn't cross my mind that I didn't move to LA to make it. The internet evolved. If the internet ever came along. What do you think you'd be doing? I'd be running a wine business. Not in this 25th floor, wonderful, incredible office. No, I mean, I think timing is everything in life and like the internet was absolutely a catalyst for a lot of opportunity for me. I, I, think, I, I think that the things that I do, being successful in business and making people feel good would have just been smaller. Okay. Right? Like, go talk to everybody who hung out with me in high school and college. The positivity is my framework. It's what my mom did. This is just my mom. Okay. I'm just my mom. So let's let's think about looking ahead here for for just one second sure. quickly. If, you know, this is the beginning of the year. Yes. Hottest take. And the decade. The decade, exactly. We're very excited about it. You know, if, if we did this podcast 10 years from now, what do you think we'd be talking about? 
Oh, I don't know. You know what's funny? This is actually a really interesting question because it really shows you a little bit deeper version of me. I get a lot of credit for seeing things. I see nothing. I just move very fast with what's actually happening. So even, you know, you, you started a YouTube series in the early days of YouTube. YouTube had happened. So you weren't you weren't predicting YouTube. It's just Say good Frank timing. had a hit show on YouTube. So how do you keep an eye out for when these things are, are coming along? I started the episode with this. TikTok and LinkedIn have happened. It's like, is there any sort of indicator to you? People doing things. Okay. No, you, you know, it's like like people doing things. Like, you know, none of these things are hard. Most people look at numbers and reports, not human beings. When I invested in Netflix as a publicly traded company three years ago, a load of people had Netflix. Mm -hmm. Common sense is underrated. As a matter of fact, you know what? This is perfect. Guys, can we make this decade the decade of common sense? Because the last one surely wasn't. I don't know, Gary, it's a big ask. (laughs) It's a huge ask, but it will lead to so much more happiness. Right. Do you think that it's possible for that to be reality? No. I think most people are parented and trained through a school system that strips it away. You are are anti-school system. I am anti-school system for people that have natural artistic talents, whether that's the way we normally consider it, painting, sports, music, or what I think we need to talk a lot more about, which is the art of business. Entrepreneurs are a different kind of breed. You know, many are dyslexic. School's gonna crush you if you have that. Many are attention de- deficient. That's why they see different things. Interesting. You've, you've said before, I've heard you say that you, you look differently upon a founder having known that they have an Ivy League education. I do. Do you still stand by that? I do. That doesn't mean there haven't been great Ivy League educated executors. They just had entrepreneurial tendencies. Last decade was the great era of be a good student, have parents and networks with high wealth that gave you money to start your business. So why wouldn't you start your own business because it was cool instead of going and working at Goldman Sachs? Mm. That's why there's so many failed businesses by good students. Okay. What about the whole idea that, you know, like the Chinese students are coming for American students and we're no longer the smartest school children in the world? Does it matter? It matters, but it's not the school system. It's they're hungrier and dirtier than us. Okay. They're gonna win because they're more raw. Okay, good to know. Um, okay, well, that was a, a fantastic <laughs> hot take to kind of end the, the main portion here. Uh, we do love to bring out the wheel for our wonderful business casual guests. So I'm going to put it down here, hit the middle button and take it for a spin. All right. Uh, okay, follow for follow. Your favorite follow on Twitter, where you have two million plus subscribers. My favorite followers, follow, uh, Phil Hughes, former former baseball player, who's all about sports cards right now. One of my hot takes that's already happened, not predicting. Everybody who's listening right now should get very serious about sports cards. They're grossly underpriced, and I think there's a ton of money to be made. Isn't and that it, how you got your start? Where you yes, selling them like what, on the and playground? By the way, but it's not because how I got my start. I hadn't talked about sports cards the last ten years. It's because gambling culture and sneaker flipping culture and 45 year olds having kids that are now of the age when they collect the cards. It's in the culture. There's a ton of money to be made. Okay. Take another spin real quick. Uh, it's going to be. Ooh, we'll follow just... for follow again. I wonder <laughs> if that you have another something. one. <laughs> um, okay. Would what? you rather, would you rather if you had to lose one, lose your Instagram audience or your LinkedIn audience? Uh, I'd rather lose my Instagram audience. 
because I think the demo that I have on LinkedIn, I can replicate on YouTube and TikTok, but I couldn't replicate that hardcore 40 to 80 year old business mindset audience that I've amassed on LinkedIn anywhere else. Okay, and one more final spin. I like this thing too. Yeah. The sounds are amazing. Oh man. Follow for follow. You keep getting it. Guys, by the way, I didn't even hit the one. You hit the I one. Did, I, I did. Hit, I rolled now three straight follow for follows. I think this means something. I'm playing the lotto tonight. All right. Let's see if this is follow for follow. All right. There we go. In or uh, out. In or out. Venture capital. Today's venture capital. Out. Why? Quickly. One I, sentence. I, I hate the whole game. I hate everything about it. There's too much capital uh, in the system. People's ideas are worth $8 million. Most VCs are looking for one unicorn to pay off the whole thing. They're giving the same advice. Most VCs are run by people who've never actually done it. The whole thing, and of course, there's so many individual, Hunter Walker, there's great people individually, but net net, I'm, I'm, way out. Okay. That is a perfect way to end with a hot take. Um, Gary, thank you so much for coming on. By the way, I apologize for interrupting your nice ending. Here's another reason why. (laughs) Most people are bad when they have too much money. My friends, for the people who are listening, and I know this audience because you guys have done a great job. It's nice to give you another compliment on the way out. Build an actual business. Most of you are trying to figure out how to raise the next round of capital. And instead of actually building a business and working on your employees and working on your customers, you're working on decks to raise more capital and it's one big financial arbitrage machine with the hope of an exit or the hope of raising a series C where you can take some money off the table personally. We stopped building businesses in the last decade because of VC and all the money. Let's make this decade the decade where we went back to actually building businesses. Okay, so we've got a a good to-do list for the the next decade. The decade of common sense and the decade of actually building your business, not building your pitch deck. And by the way, it's all gonna happen because the economy will collapse in this decade and burn everyone to the ground and we'll have to go back to it anyway. I feel like I could do a whole series of podcasts with you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank Um, you, everyone. Happy 2020. Yes, thank you so much for coming on Business Casual. Thank you. Thanks, guys, for listening. Please, please, please share the podcast and make sure you've subscribed because a bunch of you aren't subscribed. And more importantly, a bunch of you listen every day and haven't told your friends it's the best podcast in the world. I'm watching. (laughs) Have a great day.